Welcome to our meeting. So we've prayed together, uh, we've shared communion together, and we've worshipped together. It's uh, perhaps not been uh, the way that we prefer, but uh, this is uh, where we've managed to uh, get to. And uh, if um, you're any sort of social media or, or watch the news or anything, you're aware that this could be the last meeting uh, at least for a month. Maybe for 2020, depending on how uh, uh, things go. Um, so it seems uh, a few of you have sort of grabbed the opportunity to come along. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, and uh, all those who are online, uh, uh, we're going to be joining you uh, next week. Um, so uh, thank you for everyone um, that sort of joined in and bared with us um, as much as we can. So um, let me uh, start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you speak to us through uh, different moments of a church meeting. We thank you uh, as we come together in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we remember being a, a community and our uh, deference to you, Lord. We thank you at communion. We remember of your grace and your love that you lavished on us, of the just the terrible nature of sin its destructive force and the fact that you have rescued us from it and Lord God we thank you for worship where in song and tune and harmony we can lift up our hearts and our hands to you and Lord God we, we just appreciate each and every aspect of the meeting up to this point and Lord God as we enter into the preaching to the sermon into the word that you would speak to us that we would hear things that would help us in our lives, that would help us perhaps as we go into a month of not seeing friends and family in person. And uh, Lord God, we uh, just ask uh, um, that Holy Spirit, that you use this time uh, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, for many years, there has existed amongst the English-speaking people, an insipid and diabolical heresy. It constantly undermines a profound and divine truth. In clear sight, for all to see, even Christians, even educated believers, mindlessly perpetuate a falsehood. And we even teach it to the generation coming. What is this nefarious cancer in our midst? It is that most abhorrent nursery rhyme that starts, here is the church and uh, here is the steeple and look inside and here are the people. You may not have been struck by the heresy and nefarious evil that it perpetuates, but it gives the idea that the building is the structure and that we come along and populate it. My friends, in the New Testament, uh, the word that we have in English translated as church is uh, ecclesia. And uh, if you want to sound educated, you say ecclesia, and it sounds sort of more uh, Greek. Um, and it is never used for a building, ever. In fact, church buildings didn't exist in the first century. So they couldn't have been using it. Joking aside, 
and we're not going to throw you out if you stop doing that mess with um, The Greek word ekklesia just refers to an assembly of gathering. The word existed before Jesus came and uh, died and rose again. So it's been uh, appropriated by Christians. Jesus uses it and uh, his followers have used it ever since. And we've used it to describe Christian congregations. Even when we're two metres apart, we're a Christian congregation. In the first seven chapters of Acts, we have this word ecclesia come again and again, um, and it's used for the believers in Jerusalem. The ecclesia is the Christians in Jerusalem. But then things change. If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8, and it says this in verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And there's that word, ecclesia. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, he was the sort of first martyr, and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, who we will later know as Paul, uh, began to destroy the church, going from house to house and dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So we find uh, Christianity getting a raw deal. It's not seen favourably by the governing authorities. And so, uh, like all good Christians, they scarper. They run to the four corners of uh, the Roman Empire. And um, you find that suddenly the Ecclesia isn't just the Christians in Jerusalem, but it's Christians elsewhere as well, in, in different places. But that doesn't be the word justice either. Church is not just a local congregation. You see, the word ecclesia is also used in a broader sense. It's used for all the Christians in a location. So Paul can use it to describe all the Christians in Corinth. He says you're the church in Corinth and the church in Thessalonica. And so we find that the church is not just the local congregation, but it churches in a region. And that happens again and again. But even that fails to convey the wonder of the word. If you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And then turn over to chapter, chapter 5. <laughs> um, Ephesians chapter 5. And it says this in verse 25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Christ died for the church. Christ died for his people. And Paul uses the word ecclesia here to refer to not just Christians in a congregation, not just Christians in a region, not just Christians that were alive then and there, but he uses this word church to describe all the believers that ever were. 
and all the believers that ever will be. That is church. It's every single person, past, present and future, that have been saved by grace through faith. It is us here, but it's a whole lot more. So we stand alongside the Old Testament prophets who believed God that uh, he would save them, but they didn't know the logistics of Jesus. We stand alongside the New Testament apostles and the martyrs there. We stand with 2,000 years of Christian saints, and we stand with all those Christians that have yet to be, when we say church. And suddenly when we use it to refer to a bit, to a building, that gets used once a week. Sounds a bit sad, doesn't it? You're kind of like, yeah, that's not the church. And so when we think of ourselves, I want to increase our conception of it. Rather than, I go to church, or I do church, or I go to our little church, you are part of this universal body of people that stretches through time and includes the very best Christians, who have scaled the heights of uh, sainthood and the rubbish ones. The ones that get it wrong constantly, again and again. You stand with them. And each and every one has been saved by grace. And it's a beautiful thing. So church, think a little bigger. Think a little larger. Think a little uh, uh, bit more optimistically when you think of the church. I shall, uh, I've got a um, friend and he's a little bit left field, you know, you never quite know what he's going to do. Uh, and his daughter turned 16 recently uh, and they showed uh, that they gave her a card saying, happy birthday, uh, you're an accident. Um, and apparently the whole family found that really funny. Um, and uh, so uh, it wasn't a raw nerve or anything, it was, it was just a, a humorous moment. Uh, but it's very true, isn't it? That meaning and purpose can be very hard to grasp and it's very easy to doubt. We can sometimes struggle that we matter at all. I don't know if you've ever looked at your hands and sort of felt you know what, I'm just like a bag of skin and bones and I'm only going to last a few decades at most on this planet and then pass away. What is the point? You can look at planet Earth and the scale of it and the seven other, seven billion other people just like you. And you can struggle and be confused into thinking there's not really any point to anything. And you can look at the sky, and um, I'd love to have said I learned this by reading a book, but we were watching Alpha on Tuesdays, and they were saying there are more stars in the universe than grains of sand uh, in all the beaches and deserts of this world. And you're like, that's a lot of planetary spheres. And suddenly, you feel a little bit insignificant. Suddenly you feel a little bit smaller when you imagine the scale of creation. Well, wonderfully, last week, 
I spent a lot of time on the fact that God know, knew us before our conception. We were in his mind and he was thinking of us before our parents got together. And that each one of us has been called by him and we have been called to do particular good things. And there's this uh, uh, theme of purpose and calling that just comes again and again in scripture, particularly in Paul's writings, that we should be encouraged by. And then when our minds get blown uh, by uh, watching um, some sort of documentary on the size of the universe, we can suddenly come back to this text and be reassured that yes, we do have meaning and purpose. And so last week we looked at what our purpose is. But we didn't ask them why. Why did God think of you before the beginning of time? Why did he call you? Why have you got good works planned for you? before you were born. If you're following our uh, sort of letters of Paul Bible reading plan, you will have discovered the answer to this on Saturday. And uh, you can uh, just sit there smuggling. If you've not been following it, or if you're a little bit behind, I'm going to keep you in suspense a little bit longer. If you've got a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 8. If uh, you're online, uh, we've tried to make the uh, slides legible, um, and if you, don't, if you can't see it, it says, uh, for whoever finds me, finds life. And it says that in uh, Proverbs chapter 8. And I just want to read you this. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city at the entrance, she cries aloud. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all humanity. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I really like this. In the book of Proverbs, we have wisdom embodied in this incredible lady, in this dynamic woman who goes through the city calling out people to draw attention to her. And she wanders through the landscape um, of the urban situation and draws people and says, listen, listen to me. You want to know life, you want to know truth, you want to know righteousness, listen to me. This woman called Wisdom, or Sophia, is an impressive poetic uh, instrument. To listen to her 
is better than uh, sating any human desire. To listen to her um, will bring proper success and authentic satisfaction. You want life in this life, listen to Sophia. Listen to wisdom. As we look upon this best of teachers, this lady that calls out to us and calls us out to her feet, we should be reminded that this is not another God to add to the Trinity, but this is an attribute of God. Sophia is the wisdom of God. You see, God is not all-powerful, and that's it. Because that would mean he could do incredible things, but things could get out of control. He is not just very clever, either. God is not just all-powerful or just very clever. He is wise. Listen to this. God always chooses the best goals and always chooses the best means to those goals. God chooses the best place to go and he chooses the best way to get there. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's perfectly good and he has the best places to go and the best ways to meet uh, uh, to achieve that. Every moment of doubt and sin questions that. Every time you go against God, you question his wisdom. You go, yeah, I'm not too sure you really know what it is for my happiness. Yeah, God, I'm not really sure you know what it is for me to look for my pleasure. Yes, God, I don't really think that what you've said is the best way for me to achieve the best goals. Every sin and doubt is us questioning God's wisdom. And God is wise. God is wiser than you. And um, I found this really helpful this week just to think about the things that I do that I know are out of sync with him and suddenly I realise that every moment um, or that I am engaged in a sin, that is a moment where I'm doubting his wisdom and pretending that Kevin's wisdom is greater than his. And that is foolishness, isn't it? That is absolutely ridiculous. Suddenly that puts sin in its perspective as just idiocy, moral craziness. And that is why sin is so terrible. It's not just, oh, it's a little slip, oh, it's a small thing. It is you calling into question a fundamental aspect of God. You calling into question that God knows everything, that God knows the best goals, that God knows the best way to get there. Every sin is a detraction from that. And suddenly, you want to sin a bit less. At least I do. I suddenly think, you know what, perhaps sin isn't the best way to achieve what I want. Perhaps God's way is the best way. Perhaps um, giving up my own autonomy and giving in to his wisdom is the perfect way forward. Perhaps this woman in Proverbs is the best way forward.
Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, because this is why you exist, why you were called, and why we have church. Last week we looked at the what, and this week we look at the why. Turn to Ephesians chapter uh, 3. And this is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, giving me through the working of his power. It's amazing Paul's humility and it's just constant going back to the grace of God. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. I wonder if that's your Christ. The one with boundless riches. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. The mystery of salvation, which the Old Testament guys didn't know how it would pan out. But you and I are the privileged few because we do. Listen to this in verse 10. His intent, the why, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And don't be discouraged by lockdown, though it rears its ugly head again. This is why you exist. This is why the church exists. We find in this paragraph the beautiful and incredible why that we can keep coming back to. Paul explains that the, the Almighty has called forth and saved the Ecclesia for this reason, for this purpose. This is why we are born. This is why we come to church. This is why we are the church. This is why eternity beckons. This is why we don't just think of our fellowship when we think of church. This church is not just the believers even alive today, but this purpose of church that Paul references here is again that all believers through all time are here for this reason. The reason is, we declare the wisdom of God. Every other institution, every other life, declares the wisdom of man, which is foolishness, isn't it? But we alone declare the wisdom of God. All the Old Testament believers, they declare the wisdom of God. All the New Testament believers, they declare the wisdom of God. And 2,000 years of Christians have declared the wisdom of God. This morning, each of us here declare the wisdom of God. It de we declare 
that any other way apart from God is foolishness and leads to death. But this way, his way, leads to life. We could do our own thing, but then all we would be doing is illustrating our own idiocy. But coming together, we demonstrate the wisdom of God. And I really like it. It's not just so that we can point to each other and go, well, there's the wisdom of God and there isn't. Paul says, gives us this cosmic amphitheatre. He says, the heavenly realms look on and they see Edward and Karen and Ben and Barbara and Rachel and they say, there is the wisdom of God. The angels look on. What is the wisdom of God? It is the foolishness of men. It is the being saved by grace. It is this uh, instrument of faith. It is this congregation of people that have often nothing in common and who struggle with each other's lifestyle choices and often irritate each other all the time. And there are some times all we want to do on a Sunday morning is stay in bed. But we declare together the wisdom of God. You were born and saved to declare the wisdom of God. That is your purpose. That is the why. That is why the church exists. It is not to bore you on a Sunday morning. It is not to rob you of your wages. The church is there to declare the wisdom of God. No one likes to show off, do they? At work and at play, you know people that are just showing off. That are just saying, look at me, how marvellous I am. There is something about that that we just reject. Well, have you noticed that while we have a show off, we do like to wander at a proper talent. You know, someone who is actually... Uh, very good at something. And it is not just a look at me, it is something higher and better than that. I love listening to the music of Miles Davis. I find uh, uh, something in that. love reading Jules Verne and his books of imagination. I love the architecture of Christopher Wren. And all these things, you gaze at their artwork and you receive a, a degree of pleasure and wonder. And properly motivated and worked out, this person's art, whatever kind of it is, whether it is music, whether it's architecture, whether it's sculpture, uh, or uh, literacy, or whatever it is, you find out something from the person. You discover their values and their motivations and their character. We, the church, are God's handiwork. We are his work of art. We are the thing that he has put together to tell the heavenly realms about himself. And the heavenly realms look on wondrously at this thing. Now you may not look around and wondrously look at the church that you're sitting next to, but the heavenly realms look and wonder at this salvation that was wrought through Christ, at you being called and saved by grace, 
Are you having a destination of eternity? And they wonder, and we are his handiwork together. We are a symphony, even if we can't sing. We are an epic story, even if we feel like a footman. We are an absorbing masterpiece, even if we've never gotten to the front cover of um, OK Magazine. We who fuss and doubt and sin have been pulled together and joined with all the other saints and strugglers to proclaim God's wisdom. And what is the outworking of that? I really like what Paul does. So he talks about the church demonstrating God's wisdom. And then he launches into a prayer. And that's how I want to finish today. So please bow your heads. And it says this in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 and there are some wondrous words in this that I would encourage you to uh, dwell on as I read it out for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I pray over that, you today. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, every single one of you, being rooted and established in love, are you ready for this? This is really good. He prays this. That these Ephesian Christians may have power together with all Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And that is my prayer for us this morning here. That we may have power, along with every other Christian, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This morning, church, I want you to hear Paul's prayer, the outworking of this dwelling on us being God's wisdom. He says, you need to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It is all-encompassing. It is inevitable. It wins out. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine and ask for quite a bit according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.